Okay, Google. What is a leather patina? According to Alashop, it is the hallmark of a high-quality, genuine leather product, a patina, a soft sheen that develops on the surface of the leather, imparting a character, a personality to the product. I got to thinking about this word, patina. And I got to thinking, why would somebody want a leather wallet for $430? Or why would somebody want an alligator wallet for $2,490? Or why would somebody want to put a leather case with custom engraving around their $159 AirPods? And why would anybody want an authentic woolly mammoth tusk Damascus steel 3-inch lockback knife for $195? Well, because that's awesome. But why do we love handcrafted things? I want to talk about that a little bit in this video. Hi friends, by the way. Before I move forward, I must demonstrate something very important while we're here. Hi Siri. Hi there. She's so friendly. What is a leather patina? Here's the weather today. Google is better than Siri. So I think that handcrafted things and craftsmen have a lot to teach us as artists about how to tell a story because they create intrinsically valuable things, their handcrafted creations, and they are interesting to our culture because of who they are, and I think we can learn from that. I think that in a world of digital, handcrafted things are interesting for a lot of reasons. As I was planning for this video, I realized that there's not really a good way to put a bow, like come up with one solid massive reason why we love handcrafted things so much. It's honestly a lot of different things, but in a world of digital, handcrafted things are intrinsically valuable. They are something that I don't think that our robot overlords will win against us upon in the market. Jobs are going away, but the handcrafted leather-bound pocket uh, hold, holding pin condenser <laughs> is something that we will always find valuable. So if you want to survive in the world of tomorrow year, I would say go after handcrafted items. They're interesting because your hands are holding something that another person's hands have knit together lovingly. It can either be one of a kind or one of a few. It is normally well made and you know that because of the story that you've been told about this thing. You may be wrong. More times than not, you're not wrong. You can assume that a guy with beard, with rough hands, has put his heart and sweat and blood and tears into building this thing that you hold in front of you. I like to listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. He did one with a guy named Mariko Maumasi, and he is a master knife maker, I guess you would call him. And this is what they had to say about handcrafted things. I'm really into craftsmanship, man. I always have been. I love handmade pool cues and this desk, which is a handmade desk. Yeah. And I feel like it's one of the things that I really appreciate in this modern digital world. And I also feel like, unfortunately, it may be one of the things that's slipping away. It, it definitely is slipping away. I think with um, 
you know, with technolo- technology has been great for us in a lot of different ways. Like, we couldn't be fucking talking into a piece of metal right. and it's recorded on a computer. It's going through a wire, <laughs> yeah. flying through the air. Like, it does a lot of great things, but in doing all those great things, it actually has taken us away from really creating and working with our hands. And so, like, you know, even this whole, like, uh, farm to table movement or people mm-hmm. even growing their own vegetables. Yeah. You got your own chickens. You, they're, they're laying eggs for you. Like knowing where this stuff is coming from, having like firsthand contact with that, um, just having that relationship in general with it brings so much more value to the overall experience of eating those eggs or using that knife or yeah. sitting at this fucking table right here. And it seems like a, a fairly recent movement in that direction, right? Like it feels like things got so digital that people are like, whoa, 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 with the Facebook and the fucking Instagram. I want, right. I, I, you know, I want a wood table. Yeah. I want to saw this Something bitch tangible. myself. Yeah. Put your hands on it. Yeah, I don't want it and to be plastic. Yeah. I want real stuff. And there's something about handmade things, whether it's a handmade pair of boots or a handmade bag. Like it's like there's something about things that are made by hand that people get a, like a deep appreciation of from. For, for yeah. sure. Well, and I think it, I think it also kind of goes back, like I was saying, like as technology has advanced, we've kind of grown away from these kind of what's considered like blue collar work, yeah, and craftsmanship kind of work. But I think people really are driven by a sense of achievement. And when you're doing data entry that literally millions of people, fucking monkeys can be trained to do, not to like diminish anything that anybody's doing, but literally like to, to be able to go into a craft and to and have a hands-on experience is very, 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 very different. And that sense of achievement, even when somebody comes out of something and maybe I taught a class on how to make a knife and it looks like a fucking turd, they're going to think it looks like the most beautiful fucking knife they've ever seen in their life because their hands and their creativity, they've touched their it. energy, yeah. their, their sweat and probably some of their blood is put into creating that thing and that brings that much more value to it. Yeah, I think that's an issue with people today that have jobs that they don't feel are very fulfilling is that there's no real thing that they're creating at the end. Whereas like if you make a table and at the end when you're putting the final sanding on and the final you know uh, layer of, of uh, stain and you're looking at it like, I fucking made this. Like, yeah. this is a real thing that I can touch that I made. I found it interesting that they spoke about the relationship between us and the physical and digital world and how that's all been shifting as of late, as well as the satisfaction of holding a thing, a physical thing in your hand that you built. I also think the entire podcast was an expression of the fact that the handcrafted item is as much a communal experience as it is an individual experience. They spent an hour and 50 or so minutes talking about handcrafted doodads, and Joe brought over a sword, and he's looking at the sword, and they spoke about a knife with a handle made of bogwood. They spoke about a knife with meteorite in it. It's something that we love to connect over, share over, talk about the stories behind the things. It is a physical object that reflects what we find valuable. I made a video recently about wabi-sabi, which is this principle that says that there is character to be found in the imperfections of a piece of art. So think of a bowl with a crack in it. A lot of times craftsmen naturally work imperfections into what they're doing. They allow them because it gives it personality. Um, Another thing that is built into many handcrafted items, and even not handcrafted items, is the story around it. 
An example of this is uh, Haiti. Me and my wife have spent some time in Haiti. We love it there. It's a beautiful country. She has a bit of a different relationship to it than I have. For one, she is half Haitian. Uh, two, she had a staph infection, and she had to have surgery in Haiti about anesthetic. So a bit more of a, an intense, traumatic <laughs> version of a relationship as well. We love it. It's a place that means a lot to us. I have a necklace from Haiti. I bought it from a street vendor. It's not a particularly high-quality necklace, but it means so much to me. I love it. There's a company called 1804 Coffee. 1804 is the year when Haiti gained its independence as a nation. I love what they're about. I will be more willing to buy their coffee than another brand's coffee. This sort of thing. Uh, because I have a connection that's so deep with Haiti, my connection with products from Haiti, where I feel like the process, everything that the person or the collective was about in creating the, the item that I now buy from them, all of that, as long as it's an authentic experience with them, and I feel like they're doing Haiti justice, right, in, in their creation process, I'm interested in the thing. I think that improvisational music is another fantastic example of handcrafted art like this. Jesus. That was Bill Lawrence, by the way. He's fantastic. I also think that photos of incredible moments in history are examples of handcrafted art. These are photos that will never exist again of moments that will never exist again taken by somebody who will never exist again. I think a particularly intense and tragic example of this is the photos of Robert Landsberg. He was near Mount St. Helens when it exploded, and he took his final photos as the cloud of ash was coming towards him. And you can see it here. I believe the ash actually burnt the film. You see the chaos that was going on. And these photos are incredibly powerful to me. They, they mean a lot to me. When it comes to handcrafted art, one of the most important variables is who made it, who they are to you, what their personality is, what their passions are, what they hope to achieve, your relationship with them and how you resonate with that and want to see them succeed and you want to nourish that passion in them because you also believe in what they're up to. You want to own a piece of them and let them know that you support them. I think a fantastic example of a craftsman who builds wooden surfboards. Now he probably has rough hands, but he doesn't have a beard, which is a requirement under the Geneva Convention that you have a beard if you're going to be a craftsman. So I'm going to send him an email after this, but for now we will we will use all of the credibility that he has in the craftsman community to inspire ourselves. Uh, I came across a video by Nicole Eddy. She is a creator. I found her through Ben Brown. And she created a video a while back about this guy who creates wooden surfboards in a shop. And he's a great example of everything I'm talking about here. 
I'm James Otter and I design and make wooden surfboards. So for me, the reason that I started making wooden surfboards was that I was fed up with foam boards that break after a couple of years. Um, there's nothing you can do with them at the end of their life, they're just waste. Coming from the furniture making and the woodwork, we knew that wood um, can be a really sustainable resource um, and that was my skill set so I thought if I could find a way to make a, a wooden surfboard I had the opportunity to make something that lasted and had much less environmental impact. I've, I've always tried to pursue things I enjoy rather than chasing things for the sake of money. To be featured for San Miguel um, it's quite amazing that they with the rich list they kind of pull out people who are who are rich in life experience and to be selected as an artisan is, is just quite lovely like to kind of suddenly have that, that be noticed for, for what we try and do here um, in enriching people's life experiences is, is quite special. So as you enter the workshop you'll be hit by the, the kind of sweet smell of the cedar, the wood that we use predominantly um, and that just really hits you as well as the sound of my excitable Labrador as he runs to, to greet you um, and then of course you kind of stand back and, and open your eyes and take in the rest of the space. We have a couple of sawmills and a couple of forests that we work really closely with in the southwest, where we get the majority of our timber from. So we use cedar, um, western red cedar, and poplar as the two main species that we use, and they're all grown sustainably in the southwest of England. We get wood planked up by those sawmills. Um, we bring all the planked wood into the workshop and we begin processing it. Um, the way that we build our surfboards, um, they're hollow, so they have a framework inside. So we have two skins, one that goes on the bottom of the board, there's a uh, plywood framework that's then glued down onto that. And then we have thin strips of wood that run from the nose to the tail. And then there's another skin that goes on top to kind of make a little sandwich construction. It's a, it's a construction technique known as skin and frame. And once we've made that rough blank, we then it takes about two days to shape it back to our desired shape. To be able to share what you know, what you do and what you know with people is just quite incredible. Um, it's something I didn't really ever expect that, that it could have the impact on those people that it does. We run workshops kind of every month um, and I absolutely love that aspect of my job. Like people walk through the door, they're just a name on an email when they turn up on Monday morning, often, um, and then they leave as, as good friends because we've spent five days making something together. And so many people don't take the opportunity to stop um, so that offers, the week offers them a chance to do that, but also to have a tangible thing at the end of the week that they've made, they can look back and see what five days looks like in front of them. Um, and that's, that's pretty powerful for some people. And then, of course, they get to go and play in the sea with it. So it's, yeah, it's just lovely. Yeah, that's about, I, yeah, it's brilliant. A couple of things to note. He enjoys, he's passionate about what he does. He created some products to solve some problems. If you were to make your way into his shop, you would be greeted by his dog and him. The dog would lick you, you would lick the dog, and he would show you around his shop. You'd get to experience the, the wood shavings and the smell and a little bit of blood and a severed finger from a project gone wrong. It would be an immersive experience of joy and happiness and learning and education. These things, this video makes you want to buy a surfboard from him more than you would want to buy a surfboard from somebody else. This connection. His products are an expression of community and mastery and authenticity and excellence. 
There's another brand that I love called Ugmunk. I'm wearing an Ugmunk shirt right now, and there's a print behind me that is an Ugmunk print. I wear Ugmunk shirts 90% of the time when I make these videos. I absolutely love Ugmunk and what it stands for. It's a company made by a guy named Jeff Sheldon, and he has intentionally kept it small. He designs the shirts himself. And I know Sheldon's... I know Sheldon's... <laughs> I know Jeff Sheldon's name because... I am so connected with the brand and him and what he's about. There's a video where uh, he worked with another craftsman building some leather goods, and this is that video. Ugmunk has always been about creating unique, well-designed products. And it's less about trying to reinvent the wheel or come up with the world's next greatest invention, and more about creating better versions of products with the detail and functionality that I personally want. We do this by partnering with great manufacturers all across the U.S. who understand the attention to detail that I'm looking for and can lend their expertise to help me turn my ideas into physical products. For our leather mouse pads and wallets, we've been working with a great team over at The Black Anchor, and it's been awesome to see the products we've been able to create together. My name is Stephen Jones, founder of Black Anchor. We design and manufacture canvas and leather goods here in Tacoma, Washington. The great thing about handcrafting things is it isn't always exactly there, but that's, that's the beauty of the handcrafted. If you just send it off to a machine to do it all, you, know, you really have a product that was made by a computer that has no soul. You know, when you have something that was handmade, um, like these boots I'm wearing, for instance, somebody handmade these and they have that story and now they have the story from being on my feet. Same, same goes for wallets that we make. Every single wall is handcrafted. When somebody looks at it, they can appreciate it and the fact that it was handcrafted, they can see little defects, but as they tell their story, it shows in the leather, it shows in the thread, it shows in every aspect of it. The edges kind of get a little bit more worn, the color changes a little bit. You know, there's just that massive story in these handcrafted high quality goods. One of the things I love so much about Ugmunk is that one of its core expressions is physical products made digitally with a handcrafted essence. He doesn't say that, I made that up. And this is Jeff talking about that. Design in and of itself is just something that's always been in me and it's like, it's what I enjoy doing. So the idea of creating something from nothing, you start with a blank page or you start with a blank file on the computer and then to see that go through all its phases and then end up with a tangible product, that's what really excites me. And I'm not sure how to, to quantify it, but it's just that drive and that, that rush I get from seeing kind of that whole process come to an end with an actual designed product. So as a child, when I would sit there and, and draw for hours, you know, with my pencils and my crayons and everything all laid out, it's kind of my own little world where I could create and obsess over every detail and have control of the whole experience. And that obsession with detail is something that has stuck with me through the years and continues to be part of what I'm doing now with the Ugmunk brand. So Ugmunk was born out of a desire to create products and designs that I personally liked. And at the time, there weren't a lot of options that fit the style that I was looking for. So I designed things that 
fit my personal taste. And it's, it's not designing for the trends, but it's designing for things that I like. So whether it's a simple letter or a hand-drawn font that I've put onto a shirt, or if it's just a geometric design that I've come up with, but relating that back to something that I personally like rather than trying to please the masses is something that has always been a core of what I'm doing with Ugmonk. As things first started taking off and uh, shirts grew from 50 shirts here and there to a couple hundred shirts to, you know, a thousand shirts, they literally started taking over our one-bedroom apartment. We had shirts piled high in every room. So as we grew out of that, we eventually built out my parents' basement and turned it into the Ugmonk warehouse. When I launched the shirt and then I woke up, that was when I knew Ugmonk was here to stay. We sold out of that shirt in a couple weeks and got picked up on all sorts of design blogs and got a lot of positive feedback. So as people were asking, you know, when are you going to launch your next shirt? When are you going to add to the collection? That was what you know, really fueled me to keep on going and keep pushing rather than to let it die off. When I launched Ugmonk, it wasn't just about launching a t-shirt brand. I wanted to launch a design brand. Um, T-shirts were the first medium of applying that design. So as the brand grew, I was able to expand into other products and apply that same design mentality and that simplicity and minimalism that I was doing on the shirts to other things like screen printed posters and handcrafted leather journals and you know a variety of other accessories. As a designer, I have tons of ideas, but not all of those ideas are easy to execute. There's a lot more work that goes into refining those ideas and reworking until they're perfect or perfect, at least in my sense. And that's why Ugmonk is a lot more about the design than it is just about selling t-shirts. Quality is definitely more important than quantity, and that's why we only put out a limited number of products each year. Instead of just cranking out designs in every color or trying to put out a new collection every week, I'm much more focused on refining those designs and putting out something that I'm really proud of. A lot of people see the brand and they instantly say, you know, there's something different about it, there's something I like about it, but they don't know how to quantify it, and to me, it's really all about those little details that are all adding up into this finished product. And I think that's a lot of what has to do with setting it apart from other brands. I hope to continue designing for as long as I can. Uh, it's what fuels me and it's what motivates me to keep going. And that passion for design is really what has started Ugmonk and will continue to keep Ugmonk going. I will attempt to bundle all of this up into some cohesion now. I think that we as humans crave something that is often missed in the process of mass production and consumption. I think the antidote to that is to create things that have stories attached to them that are meaningful. The more meaningful the story, the more meaningful the creation. Like I said at the beginning, it is difficult to get to core principles with why we love handcrafted things so much. I think there are a lot of reasons. But I think that we are creators fundamentally. And the, rela the relationship between the creator and the created is something that is so deeply meaningful to us. And I think that that's what we have to continue to press into 
to create things that move people, that impact people in new ways and in special ways and in the ways that we're trying to achieve. That's it for this one. I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Why do you love handcrafted things? I'd love to have a conversation about that. Goodbye.